Good morning. Today's passage is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk with them, should talk of them, when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Amen. All right, good morning. Today, obviously, we are going to be talking about the subject of fathers, which I promised you back on Mother's Day when we talked about mothers on Mother's Day. We do need to talk about fathers, and it's, it's vitally important. I, I mean, 24.7 million children in the United States live in a home where there is no father present. That equates to one and, th- and three children have no father present in, in the home. So what's the results of that? Well, 90% of all homeless and runaway youths come from fatherless homes, according to the Department of Justice. 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from homes with no father. All of these are according to DOG, Department of Justice. 71% of all high school dropouts come from homes with no fathers. 75% of adolescent patients in drug recovery centers and substance abuse centers come from a home that has no father. 75% of rapists are motivated by displaced anger related to father abandonment issues, according to the DOJ. Texas Department of Corrections reported that 80% of those incarcerated are from fatherless homes. And 63% of youth suicides involve children from fatherless homes. Um, Now, shocking statistic from Pew Research says this. 43% of fathers do not see their role as something that important. Now, according to the statistics that I had read previously, the, the role of father is vitally important, evidently. It's essential for a healthy household and well-developed children. And that's not the Bible. That's just life. That's the st- 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 statistics telling us that. Just, just the results of a society where no father is present. So, Dads, don't, we, we sometimes underestimate ourselves. I know that Mother's Day is the, the, the nice, cushy, warm and fuzzy day, but fathers, and then fathers kind of get duct tape on their day, like, hey, here's the roll of duct tape. Go, go have fun, whatever, happy Father's Day. But fathers, man, we, we cannot underestimate the importance. I would say this, I would say, I'm going I'm to say this. That's what this message is about. The role of father in the home is crucial And without the father's presence, the home is not the home that God intended, period. And and, and the children cannot develop. God ordained this stuff. I mean, children may look to mom for nurturing and care. That happens, obviously. But they look to dad for affirmation, identity, and overall approval. Dad, what is truth? Dad, what do we believe? Dad, is there a God? Dad, am I beautiful? Dad, am I intelligent? Am I strong, Dad? Am I accepted, Dad? You see, this, this is powerful, men, that we get this. We, 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 we have more influence in our children's life than we will ever imagine. 
And yet most movies and television shows depict fathers either as a weak, airheaded buffoon or as an angry, abusive monster. And yet as Christians, we view and see the world through a biblical lens, right? Now we talk about this on Mother's Day. We're going to talk about this again today. The scriptures give us the lens whereby we view the world. That's called a Christian worldview. It's based on God's word, not on pop culture. We talk about the Norma, Normans, non-normata. That's what the reformers referred to the Bible as. It's Latin, which means the norming norm that is not itself normed. This means, again, that Scripture being the word of God is the standard which regulates all things, but is not regulated itself by anything. Why? Because it is the final norm of all norms. Therefore, to find out what a godly father is, we, we don't look to society. We don't look to psychology or philosophy. We look to the word of God. And so, as we heard from our text in Deuteronomy, God expects fathers to rise up and be intentional in loving and caring for their children and their family. And this is a call. This is a call in our day and age, right? Because men, by nature, we're lazy. Men, by nature, we shrug the responsibility of this. We would gladly hand this off to mom or to the state even. We'd send them to school. Let somebody else take care of them. Let somebody else have this. That is, that is sin. The Bible is clear. Men, it is our responsibility to rise up and be godly fathers. Genesis 18, 18 through 19. I want to go back to that. Our text, by the way, that, that Ian read, that's, that's the law being explained. This is how we carry it out as fathers. We teach our children, we teach our families, we, we guide them, we lead them. But that was an answer to a promise made by God back in Genesis to Abraham, the, the, the covenant that he made with, with Abraham. We've got to go back there. We've got to go back to the, to, to the beginning of this. Verse 18 says, Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, that's the promise that through Abraham will come Christ, the Savior, whereby all nations of the world are blessed through the Messiah. But look what he says. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So, so, so what we see then is that God has called fathers to lead their children and their homes beginning before Abraham but Abraham is it's established with that Abrahamic covenant Abraham you will command your children and your household you will lead them and that has a word by the way that word is patriarchy <laughs> patriarchy the Greek word patriarchase simply means, here's the definition of that word patriarchy, that word that is so hated and dreaded in our culture today. It simply means the rule of the father, the rule of the father. It simply means that the fathers are the head of the household. I know, I know. It's a naughty, it's a naughty word, this word patriarch today. Many women wear shirts that have written, crush the patriarchy on the front. Many, many displays of hatred toward this word. This, is, this word has caused all of our problems, this patriarchy idea. And yet it's interesting, Nina Power, who is a psychologist and not even a Christian, but she's written a very interesting article called, called Why We Need the Patriarchy. She wrote this May 22nd of 2022, so this is a fresh article. But listen to what she says. She says, despite claims to the contrary, we do not live in a patriarchy. 
A patriarchy would require men taking responsibility for their families and for society at large. Instead, we live in an infantile culture in which men and women are more like brothers and sisters constantly bickering and fighting against each other for control. This is not a Christian speaking. This is just a, 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 a keen observer of society. So what we have to understand as Christians and what we have to come to grips with as individual Christians is, do I believe the God of the universe has given us a book which is the final standard for all of my life and action? And if I believe that is the case, will I stand on that? Will I live that? Will, will I not just say it under my breath, but will I proclaim it in society? And so, fathers, this begins with us. Joshua 24, 15 makes it clear that the idea of a loving patriarchy or fatherhood that's what this is, right? This is the idea. It's taught in the Bible. Look at Joshua 24, 15. It, it says this. And now, by the way, Joshua is in a place where he's, he's called all of the leaders of Israel, all the elders and all of the tribe leaders together, and he questions them and he challenges them, who are you going to serve? I mean, the gods of this world, the gods that your father serves, are you going to serve Jehovah God? Verse 24, verse 15, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day who you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So what a timely verse for us. If it seems evil, society, if it seems evil, evil CNN or the, the world media or Hollywood, if it seems evil to actually serve the God of the Bible, Christian, then choose somebody to serve. And it's already happened. You've already chosen. You've already made your choice. And many professing Christians are doing nothing more than serving the God of this world in the guise of Christianity. What we need our fathers to rise up and say, as for me, hey, I know not what you guys will do. I don't know what you're going to choose. It's not about what your neighbor's doing. It's not about what some other church is doing. It's not about what some other, quote, Christian is doing. It's about what you, who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, and he is your Savior, he is your Master, and he is your Lord, what will you do? And especially fathers or to be leading your children and your families, we need you to rise up and say, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's okay to say that. Matter of fact, that's what fathers do. They don't say, hey, children, what would you like to do? Hey, children, what are you? Are you a boy or a girl? Hey, children, do you feel like getting out of bed today and rolling out and come to church with dad? And the six-year-old says, no, okay, we'll see you when we get home. No, that's not it. That's kind of fatherhood and parenting in our world for the past few decades. But that's not what the Bible's saying. And this is loving patriarchy. By the way, do you know it's loving to set parameters and standards for your children? It is more loving to discipline and to train up our children and to tell them the truth of the structure that God has ordained and his parameters than it is to leave them to their own devices. Why? Because all of our hearts are deceitfully wicked. So it's the job and responsibility of parents to train and to form and, yes, to fill our children's heads with truth, not see them discover their own truths. You say, well, that's indoctrination. Yes. <laughs> it is. And you know who is indoctrinating your kids if you're not? It's happening. It's happening. We are commanded to indoctrinate, to catechize, to train our children in truth. So what we see is very quickly... I want to make some points about what a godly father looks like. What is a godly father in the scriptures? 
And what we saw right there in Joshua 24, 15, we see, first of all, that a godly father leads his family. He leads his family intentionally, taking the initiative, looking ahead for the dangers that are coming, making plans to, to, how, to how to counter those things, how to teach the truth, to equip his family, to be prepared for the road ahead. That takes initiative. It takes conviction. So fathers, you are to walk ahead of your family in confident leadership, both proclaiming and modeling truth. This is where loving, consistent discipline and training come in, right? Proclaim and model. Many of our old, older generations had this idea of proclaiming down pat. Do as I say, do as I say, do as I say, not as I do. And that is a problem. We have to not only proclaim truth to our kids, we have to model that truth in our life as well. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes, a little bit more. How our children smell hypocrisy a mile away. But number two, look at, back at our text in Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 2, what do we learn? We learn that a godly father fears the Lord. He fears the Lord. Verse 1 says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. And what we see here, obviously, is this fear of the Lord in the father is transmitted to the son, and then from that son to the next son, and from that son to the next son, you see that patriarchal link of intentional leadership. That's what we're seeing in that text. The father fears the Lord and teaches his son to fear the Lord, who in turn teaches his son to fear the Lord, and so on and so on. Obviously, daughters, too. We're teaching all of our children to fear the Lord. So, we understand that to be the case. So why is he mentioning sons? Because I didn't write this, folks, but God did. God ordained this. And this is how our, our, our answer should not be shy, sheepish, embarrassment when the world says, oh, that patriarchy stuff is, that's wicked, that's, that's terrible, that's oppressive. No, that's, that's, that's a loving God who ordained things according to his purpose for a reason. God did that. We didn't make that up. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to get on this. I, this is a whole other worldview sermon about where did patriarchy, what do they say it came from, how recent, blah, blah, blah. It came from God. I mean, and I say that in love, but we should not be ashamed of that as believers. We simply say, God tells us, God designed it, that fathers would fearlessly stand in the gap for their families. And that they would train their sons to, 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 to rise up and fearlessly stand in the gap for their families. And that that father would teach his son to be the leader of that home. Yes, you're training the daughters and who will become the mothers, who are vital as well. Because we are both made in the image of God for his ultimate purpose. But we cannot uh, run away from God's plainly revealed will that it is through fatherhood that families are to be led. That's, that's the Bible. Now, thank God, and we'll say this again in another point, for the mothers who have to, at times, grab the wheel, so to speak. Thank God for that. But the norm of norms, folks, we know there's exceptions, but the norm of norms, the way God intended it, is this. For fathers to fear the Lord. And then we see in verses 5, 4 and 5, not only fear God, respect him, but love him. This is what separates it all from legalism, dry keeping of commands out of fear. No, the respect of God, the awe of God draws us to love him when we see what he's done for us through his grace. And we love him. 
Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That word literally means he's first, only, first, alone. He is the God. He's first. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. He's the first and only in your life. That's what it's saying. It's Matthew 6, 33 in the Old Testament. But seek first the kingdom of God. Why? Because he's first. Love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And this transforms everything else about you, dads. And if right now you're loving, you're loving the houses and the cars and the money and all those things, then you've got it all out of whack. That's what Matthew 6.33 is all about. It already talked about having clothes to wear and food to eat and a place to live and all of that. But then it says, hey, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things will be given to you. That's all going to come. It doesn't mean we don't need those things. But it's of priority. Seek first. Love first. God. Put him first. And then, if we do that, then we can do these other things properly. And that's, that's this. What else does a godly father do? A godly father loves his wife. A godly father loves his wife. And fathers, you may have heard this and think it's a bit cliche, but it is true. The greatest thing you can do for your children is to love their mama well. To love your wife. This is a command all through Scripture. Colossians 3.19 uh, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This is where God graciously shows us what patriarchy looks like. It's not mean. It's not harsh. It's loving leadership and overwatch and care. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Do not be bitter at them. Don't hold a grudge against your wife. Don't hold things over her head. Don't cut her down. Don't disrespect her. That's what the Bible is saying. And see, this is the answer to our friends who scoff this idea of fatherly leadership in the home. It's a loving leadership. Now, it has been abused. There's no question about it. Anything in this world could be abused and has been abused. And we need to call that out. When, it, when a father oversteps his authority and it turns into abuse and hurt and bitterness, the elders of the church will call that out. But that doesn't take away the fact that God has called the husband to love his family, love his wife, and not be harsh. Ephesians 5, 5.25, what a command. Husbands, love your wife. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We are to love our wives so vehemently that we're willing to give our lives up for her. Not, not just a physical death in, in the chivalric uh, idea of diving in front of a bullet for her or, or running in front of a bus, pushing her out of the way and being squashed like a bug for her. Not just that, but, but giving up those things that you selfishly desire, those things that take up so much of your time, dad, while your wife withers away over here in the corner, starving for your attention, starving for conversation, starving for you to do something with her. Folks, fathers, we're commanded not to do that. As a matter of fact, that is sin. We're to give our lives up for our wives. And that means giving up some of the things I want to do in order to do what she wants to do. To show, not just tell her, but to show her that I love her and I am giving my life up for her. 1 Peter 3, 7 says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Well, there we just went off the cliff. <laughs> Let's finish this verse and come back and talk about it. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, 
that's saying they are equally saved by the grace of God and equally made in the image of God so that your prayers may not be hindered. The wife is our spiritual equal partner in the faith of Jesus Christ is what that's saying. Honor her. Do, do it in an, live with her in an understanding way. Show honor to her. As the weaker vessel, we, we, we will, uh, we're not going to run from that. That, that. What does that mean, as the weaker vessel? Well, it's obviously not talking intellectually weaker. That's not it. That's not the context here whatsoever. We know throughout Scripture that men and women are equally made in the image of God, and there's, there's many, many similarities between us. Intelligence is one of those. Men and women are equally intelligent. I know many times there's, there's doubts about that, but there's, there's outliers on both sides. But again, the norm of norms, God has made us equal in that. We're not talking about even emotionally weaker. And I know we tell jokes about women getting emotional sometimes and, and, and losing things, but I have known some men that are pretty whacked out as well. We're all emotionally messed up people. So it's not talking about a weakness emotionally or that the woman is a weaker vessel intellectually or she's not as gifted. None of that is true. The Bible never says that. As a matter of fact, the, the opposite is true. We're, all, we're made equally in those areas in the image of God for his glory. She's not spiritually weaker. It's not saying that. We, we, we know from just church history, just looking past that, that overall women have a more spiritual tendency than men do. Most churches are filled with women more so than men. Women are more faithful to attend on average than men. Bible studies, women's Bible studies. Our, we got the evidence right here. Where is our men's Bible study? And I know we can, we, we can be more in, 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 you know, uh, in, intuitive about that and, and, and initiate that a little bit more. But on the bottom line, you wouldn't have to even announce it. If you didn't have a women's Bible study, guess what? If there's women in your church, there'll be a Bible study. Women are spiritual this way. They, they do long for truth. So it's not talking about that. What is it talking about the weaker vessel then? It's the obvious. It's talking about physically. Oh, now I'm still off the cliff. But I, I'm not denying that. It's definitely talking about that. Guess what? God made them, in the beginning, Jesus said, male and female. So though there are similarities between us as human beings made in the image of God, there are also distinctives. There are also differences. And one of those differences that is, folks, I don't know why we're all having these arguments about this in our world today as though we don't understand things, but scientists settled this years ago, there is a physical, biological difference between a male and a female. And the most prominent difference is strength. That's it. There is no debate about that. And there needs really to be not much more discussion about that. But we see the pain that happens in female athletes when a trans woman competes and blows the field away it's just it's just insanity why because it's 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 plain and even paul here or peter here recognizes this in a glorious way though he's saying look husbands honor your wife and be mindful that she is a woman this is the lost art, by the way, for men to understand how to treat women. Now, feminism has done a great deal toward getting that erased, much to the chagrin of women now, I would say. But the, the bottom line is, most, women, most men today are not taught how to care for and cherish women. But there's a distinction. There is. This is what the Bible teaches us. We are to honor and respect Women, as the gloriously delicate, majestic gifts of grace they are. Oh, I know that some of you, oh, I, don't, I don't like that. I'm sorry. 
Men, our life came from women. We can't deny that. Our very existence comes from the woman. That's why men are to honor the woman. We open the door for a woman not to show that she's some kind of inferior being, but to honor the one who gave us life. To honor her, and yes, her glorious, majestic delicacy. That that's, that's, should not be a bad thing. The glorious beauty of womanhood as God made her should not be a bad thing. It should be a glorious thing that is celebrated and protected by men. And again, you you say these things and there's already people, I'm going to have this, I may be in jail next week. I don't know, man, but people are going to be so offended that I'm saying this stuff. That's how sick our culture is when we depart from the standards of God's word. And we do what's right in our own eyes. But let me move on. Not only does a godly father fear God and love God and love his wife well, but a godly father teaches his children. He takes the initiative to teach his children. Look at verses 6 through 9 here in Deuteronomy. It says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets uh, frontlets on your eyes. You shall write them on doorposts, on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Basically what we see here is is this, this truth that fathers not only teach their children, but they must spend much time with their children. Why? Because you're talking to your children when you're in your house, but you're also out walking through the park with them, it says. You're walking by the way. When you lie down, when you rise up, you're a present father. Because the sad truth is a a lot of children have a biological father in the house, but he's not present in their lives. So to diligently teach my children means I intentionally take time. And it's hard. As I said, men, we're selfish. We have this idea, and it is true. Yes, we, we, we work hard, we come home, and, and what this time and so forth. Same with anyone who works, you come home, you want to take time. But that's where the word diligent and intense intentionality come in. That's where the words sacrifice come in. This is, is it, what is, what is the most precious treasure that you've been given to steward? It's your children. And you only have them for a short time, men. So put down the game console or, 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 or put down even some of the other hobbies that we do and take, take time to do those with your children or, or whatever you have to do, but spend time with your children, Because here's the point. We proclaim the truth, right? Teach these to your children. That's what we get from this. Teach, that's didactic, right? That's that's imparting information. That's telling them what is true. That's telling them what is false. Again, folks, it's our job to, as parents, as parents, so what I mean is, fathers, it's your job to counter the false teaching and the false worldview ideology that your kids are seeing at school and on TV and everywhere else. It's your job, first and foremost, to counter that, to teach that, to say, hey, this is false. This is truth. But then we see we we model that truth. We're with them in their life. They're watching us in life. They're walking with us in the park. They're watching us drive down the street. They're, They're observing how we react to things. And this is what I meant earlier. Kids smell hypocrisy, hypocrisy a mile away, right? So when mom and daddy can can be telling them all the truth, and it's Perfect, right? You, you, you may have the Westminster Confession half memorized, right? You're telling your kids all the truth, but you're not living it. And they know that. They know it's a sham. You go to church once and that's it, but your life's no different. You don't, you don't, you don't really believe what you're saying. You would never risk anything for your, quote, beliefs. <laughs> we wonder why so many young people, when they get to adult age, 
skedaddle from the church as quickly as they can. There's no reality to it. There's no substance to it because they didn't see it. Ephesians 6, 4, look at this. Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I think this provoking to anger is not just chiding them and kind of riding them until they, they get angry, you know, pushing their buttons. That is implied as well. But you know what else provokes kids to anger? When a father abandons them. That provokes kids to anger. Or when, when a father doesn't even have time for him when he is in their life. That provokes kids to anger. Or when a father hypocritically says one thing and does another. That provokes kids to anger. No, we are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And that means my whole life is involved in that, Father. My whole life. And that's why, before we got to the teaching, we hit on fear of God and love of God. If you don't fear God yourself, Father, your kids won't fear God. If you don't love God yourself, fathers, your kids won't love God. If you don't obey God yourself, if you don't keep God's commands yourself, your kids won't keep God's command. You see the pattern here? Truth must be both taught and caught. That's what we're seeing in Scripture here. Truth must be both taught and caught. Now, none of us are perfect. This is the grace of God. The very, it's very gracious. Here's the point. We may not be adept in theology. We, we think, wow, as a father, I'm thinking, wow, you know, I, I have to teach my kids all this. I don't even know if I know all this. That's okay, dads. Be consistent. Love God with all your heart. Read the scriptures. And here's the glorious thing. If you truly fear God and love God and you're trying your best to serve God, your kids are, your kids are going to catch that. Your kids are going to catch more sometimes than you actually taught, than you actually taught with your mouth. And that's a grace of God, folks. That is a grace of God. I look at my kids and you say, well, you're a pastor. Yeah, but sometimes I have not at all been as effective as I should be at home worship and, 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 and instructing. I just thank God that by his grace, they saw that I truly love God, that I do fear God, that I try with all my heart to keep his commandments. And they caught that by God's grace. Obviously, it's all by God's grace. But let's teach our children. But, but also, look at this. A godly father not only teaches his children what to do, he also corrects his children when they don't do it. A godly father corrects his children. Hebrews 12, 7 talks about this discipline, this idea of corrective discipline. It says it is... For discipline that you have to endure. This is God speaking to us as his children. And he's saying, hey, this stuff you're enduring, some of these painful things, some of these hurtful things in your life, this is for your discipline. This is for your good. God is treating you as sons, it says right here. Now look at this assumption the Bible makes. For what son is there who his father does not discipline? What dad out there, God is saying, is not disciplining their, their children. Surely you understand. Well, I got news. This culture doesn't understand. Every father's disciplining their children? That's, that's not happening. And yet that's a command for us dads to, to do this. Proverbs 13, 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son. So we're talking about corrective discipline. Now, teaching is discipline. We're training. That's what discipline means. But there's a corrective element to discipline at times. And this idea of correction, this idea, this old word of corporal punishment, remember that word? Corporal punishment. Man, I really was a big advocate of that. I kept that in session in school myself. I mean, I kept that corporal punishment thing active. Um, teachers practiced on me. How do you get corporal punishment? Oh, Greg, come here. I know you've done something. Anyway, now that's, of course, passe in public education or any kind of education, the idea of corporal punishment, but it's effective because the Bible says so. 
And again, we're talking in context. Everybody loves to throw the red herrings out there and build the straw man of the angry, abusive, sinful approach to this stuff. That is out there and it is wrong. But we're talking about the loving discipline of a godly father who because he loves his son but doesn't hate his son, but because he loves his son, he doesn't spare the rod of correction. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So corporal punishment's effective. But let's talk about that real quick. Because there's a lot of young, young parents here, right? And, and that's a wonderful thing. And so let's just kind of talk about this real quick. How does that work? Well, and, and there's a debate, right? Is, is corporal punishment effective or not? Do we ever do that? Or do we just have a big timeout corner all the time? I'm not against timeout corners either. But there's a timeout, there's a time when the timeout corner has to give way to ouch, ouch. And here's how. Here's why that works. It works, corporal punishment works, and is effective if done consistently, correctly, and lovingly. Now, now how, does, how does that look? First, beginning when your children are young. You don't wait till your child's 18 to say, I'm going to spank you. That's not going to happen. Matter of fact, he may spank you <laughs> by that point. That's, that's, that's a problem many people make. What if my kids are out of hand? Well, when did you start discipline? We don't discipline them. Well, that could be a problem. We, so, so when they're young, Andy's already going out to start right now. <laughs> He's been waiting for this. <laughs> so here's what I mean. So we begin first and foremost when they're young, very young, because you're going to find out very quickly they're depraved from a very young age. <laughs> but, but you've got to be clear. So you start when they're young and you follow these three C's. This is just off from an old father to you, rather. Here we go. You've you got to be clear, you've got to be consistent, and you've got to be cool-headed, clear. What do I mean by be clear? You've got to be clear about the rules and the consequences. Our children must know there's some rules, and we've got to be clear about those rules. That's part of discipline. That's part of instruction. So you go over this with your kids. You teach them what's right, what's wrong, what's accepted in the house, what's not accepted. Behavior that is disobedience versus, again, you, you also, by being clear, you understand that there's childlike behavior, which you do not punish a child for being just childlike or having childlike accidents. That's, you don't do that. No matter how frustrated you are when an accident happens, you don't punish for childlike behavior that's, that's, that's not disobedient. But you're clear about it. There's rules. There's boundaries. There's limits. There's things you can do. There's things you don't do. And if you do what you're not supposed to do, there's a consequence. And, and so you're clear about that. Because that's part of instruction. That's part of teaching. That's part of spending time with your children as they grow up. You're having these conversations. Some, some parents, actually, you can post them on the, the wall, certain things. This is what mommy and daddy allow. This is what we don't allow. This is the consequence for that. that it's okay. It's neat. That's what the Bible's talking about here. You train up your children in the way they should go. And don't spare the rod when they don't. If you love them, you're going to remind them and keep them on, on track. So be clear about the rules and the consequences, and then be consistent. This is one of the downfalls. This is where it goes south. Because you may have the rules and the consequences, but then when the kids do break one of those rules plainly, well, you're right in the middle of a show and you don't want to take time to do it now, or you're busy and it's just, it'd be an inconvenience to have to actually do this. Folks, it takes work to raise children. And we have to sacrifice and we can't be lazy about it. It is hard. It's easier to let them go. It is. Let's face it. We're, again, selfish people. And it's easier sometimes to let our kids break the rule that we've all established and they know it. But once that happens, what happens to them? There's no consistency. So they're going to continue to push boundaries and continue to live how they want to live. So there is this consistency in our discipline. We've talked about this. We're going to carry it out. Every time, mom and dad together consistently keeping the rule. Hey, by the way, here's another big one. When dad's not there, mom, 
Don't pull out a separate rule book and stick up and say, mom time, mom's here. All oh, those rules that we had, they don't, when dad's gone, I let you get by with stuff. Or vice versa, dad. When you agree on them, they're consistent. They're, they're the same. They don't change. They don't budge. And, and your kids see mom and dad as an impenetrable fortress of one, right? You are linked together shoulder to shoulder, no playing one against the other because we're consistent. And then the third C, be cool. Be cool, boy. West Side Story, right? Be cool. <laughs> because we're all human. We're all sinful, and we can punish out of anger. And that's sin. That's wrong. So do not punish out of anger. Be cool. So here's an example. The rule has been broken plainly. Disobedience has occurred directly. And there's a consequence that your kids know. Now you're going to be consistent, but you're also going to be cool and you're not going to fly off the handle and just knee jerk react. So what we had, and again, I know every parent may be different. We did do the corporal punishment. I will say this. I believe if parents start young with their children and you're consistent, you don't have to do this long. That's it. The purpose of this is not to make a lifelong you know, habit out of whooping your children. That, that shouldn't happen. Matter of fact, that happens when the discipline is ineffective and not consistent. And the kids have no clue what's going on. <laughs> they have no clue when the big hand of fate is coming after them because of the inconsistency. But here's what we try to do. We had rules. When our children broke them in disobedience, they knew there was a consequence. They knew it was one to three swatos. As a matter of fact, I know you're, wow, I'm saying this. I'm going to condemn myself in the court of cultural appeal, whatever. But I made a paddle. I made a paddle. Uh, I think it's better. Here's why. Here's the reason. Our hands, I think, should be nurturing our kids to see our hands and know that, hey, mom loves me. They love me. Uh, they don't think my hand is always the paddle too. Um, so I don't know where I learned that early on, but it was a good idea. So we made a, a paddle in the shape of an electric chair. I'm kidding. We made a paddle. <laughs> <laughs> Joking. Joking. <laughs> Woo! Hey, Tone, get our resume ready. We're going to need... I'm kidding. But um, <laughs> I made this nice paddle. That was a, it was a paddle with a handle, and I even varnished it, acrylic. <laughs> so it was probably about that big, little handle. And I hung it on the refrigerator where they could see it, right next to the rules. But anyway, so you have this idea. So the kids knew that that was the instrument of instruction and uh, punishment. And, and, and so they knew they were going to get that. So if a rule broke, hey, you did this. Why did you say that to mine? Why didn't you do whatever it was? All right, here's how to be cool about it and not respond viciously. The next approach was, okay, go to your room and wait. Because what we had is this system, Max's room, I think it was. Well, they all shared rooms at certain times, and they had this bed in that one room, had this bunk beds with these, this little ladder. So the idea was, when you get your paddle, spank, you go to the room and you reach down and grab the second rung that puts them in a position that is prime. By the way, God has, God has ordained and built in every human being a sanctified spanking spot. <laughs> and this also helps us discipline correctly because it is physically proven not to clot. Blood clots don't happen there. It's, it's a lot of tissue made, and it feels pain. It has a lot of nerve thing to feel pain, but it doesn't clot, doesn't injure. And I'm not saying just take advantage of that, but I am saying you don't smack your kid in the face or beat them up in, in, in their arms or punch them in the stomach. That's false. That's abuse. So, so, but you do have a spot that's going to make them feel and say, wow, that hurt. And so that's what you do. Okay, you broke the rule. Here's the consequence. You know this. Now go wait. Then my wife would say, calm down, calm down, it's okay. calm down, it's okay, okay, get out. now take it easy. She wasn't saying don't spank them, but we would talk to each other and say, all right, here's what happened. Or even I would let her know, hey, here's what happened, or we would both agree, yep, that's what we said, that's what we're going to do. Then I would enter in with the paddle, gulp, they're, they're, and you know what else that does, by the way, by sitting in there, they're thinking about what they've done. You're cooling down, they're just revving up. They're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Uh, they're thinking about what they've done. They're contemplating what they should have done uh, and, and all that, hopefully. Then you walk in and then we would talk. And you go over with your child in a calm, cool way. You remind them of the rule they broke. You remind them that this was, the, this was what they knew was coming and this is disobedience and you can't do that. 
You can't disobey mommy like that. You can't disobey daddy like that. And then they would get the, or sometimes, okay? And that was, and then, then, then you either, now some parents, I mean, you wait a while to pray or pray right then. I would always wait because I don't want to associate prayer with pain myself, right? I want to pray right away, but then we would, would talk later. But I'm just saying, now everybody can be different on that and have your different methods on that. And some of you may think we're crazy. However, the Bible says this stuff. The Bible says this, and I think if we look at our culture today, a culture that's abandoned this idea generations ago in both public sphere and in the home sphere, and we look at our children, I just gave you the statistics, it's not good. I think God knows, the one who made us, how to raise us, because he does it the same way to us. He disciplines us and expects us to discipline our kids in love as well. But finally... A godly father shows humility and grace. You got to have all this. We got to have all this, dads. We got to show humility and grace. Man, let's just read verses 10 and 12 as we close. God goes on to say, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, now he already talked about keeping obediently the commands that he had given them. Keep those commands, fear me. Obey me, teach your children to fear me and love me and obey me, right? And then he says this, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, by the way, what do we call those guys? The patriarchs, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. God reminds them of his grace. He reminds them here, hey, by the way, it's not just the keeping of those commands and all of those things. You do those because you love me and you fear me, but I've done all this for you. And I'm providing things that you didn't even do. You didn't build those houses you're living in. You didn't fill them with all the food that will be there. You didn't plant those vineyards that you're going to eat and, 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 and rejoice in. I gave those to you. So what you have is by grace. Therefore, because we have received much grace and God has shown us much grace, we should show grace. So it's important to show our children humility. You've got to be willing to admit when you're wrong. That's another problem dads have, admitting that they're wrong. And yet it's okay, dads. It's okay to ask our children's forgiveness when we are legitimately wrong. It's okay. What does that do? It models the truth of the gospel to them. They see that mom and dad, they not only believe the gospel, but they practice the gospel. They confess their sin. They admit when they're, they're, they're at fault. And they ask forgiveness when they've wronged somebody. And it's okay. Why? Because we show grace. We must be willing to show grace because we've been shown grace. God has given us things that we don't deserve. <laughs> and sometimes we have to show grace. I can't help but think of this story. I got to give you this. I know it's late. Just relax. It's Father's Day. <laughs> but Maxwell, my son, he, he's working today at the hospital. Sorry. But Max, I, we were in the spanking position, right? This was, <laughs> he, had done, he had done something. He's in his room. He's, he's there. He's on the position. Dad's got the paddle. We're ready to roll, right? And I had just preached a sermon the week before about grace. And that happens a lot when you're preaching. You're, preach, you're going to preach on grace, right? You're going to see that. So I preached on grace. He deserved this. This is the punishment, right? He deserved it. I go back to get ready to swing. And you know what he does? He says, Show me grace. Show me grace. <laughs> Woo. Wow. Yeah, what do you do? So in that particular case, I, I chuckled and I couldn't help that, right? And then uh, I showed him grace. I thought, you know what? I said, Max, I told him, I said, Max, I am going to show you grace. You, you know, and we talked about it. You know, you deserve this. But I'm going to show you grace 
I'm not going to give you what you deserve right now. That, and that's, that's grace. And so he rejoiced with great thankfulness, <laughs> lifting holy hands of praise, you know, loved me like he'd never loved me before, hugged me. Oh, Dad, you're the greatest. Thank you. And then a few weeks or whatever go by, and, well, he's back in the spot again. And he learns pretty quick, right? So right as I'm winding up, he says, show me grace, show me grace. I said, sorry, son, I'm not God. <laughs> right? <laughs> and not that God always does, that he doesn't punish, but I'm just saying, I, I just had to be consistent, right? So we get back to the idea of, of that. But I just want to end real quick with some helpful hints or helpful application uh, of, of parenting. Because I, I, you might be sitting here as a father thinking, man, this is inspiring. I've been encouraged. I need to, I need to do this. But you know what? I don't, even, I don't even know I'm where I need to be. Uh, theologically, uh, I, I, and this is a wake-up call, fathers in this room. Start reading. We've got a, a, a resource library that Travis keeps stocked out there. Get books. Read. It, there's no excuse. I don't read. Start. Get a book on digital. I started to say on cassette. There's no cassettes anymore. You'll get, a, get a book and hear it. Audio. That's it. Audio books. But there's no excuse. But, but here's the help. You may say, I'm inadequate. I, how do I catechize my kids? And that's what we need to do is catechize. That's indoctrinate. Teach them truth. Catechize from an early age. They have to hear the truth. Here's a helpful app, literally a helpful app. It's, it's the New City Catechism. Travis, I know, has already worked with parents here with that. I think you've given a lot of the parents the, 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 the catechism, and, and it, this is glorious. But there's an app that makes it so easy to effectively give your kids and yourself truth. And so it, it, it goes on your phone. It's an app. You go to New, to, to New City Catechism on, at your app store whether I, I, iPad, I, I, Apple, or Android, and you download the New City Catechism. And, and here's what you get. Like, it's got a question. Let's say, like, the first question is, I can't even see this. It's, what is our only hope in life and death? That's a, that's a, and they, think about this. You're ingraining this into your kid's memory, and this is going to stay with them. What is our only hope in life and death? Then you push the answer button, and it says, that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what we instill in our kids. And, and the cool thing about this app, and I would show you if I, I do have my phone, but I'm not going to do it. But if you, if you have it in kid mode, child mode, there's songs for each of these. You hit the play button, and there's a song that plays that they can memorize and you can memorize. Folks, this is the stuff that we should be doing, and it's, there's no real excuse at this point. We can catechize our children, teach them Christian catechesis, the doctrines of our faith. Why do we believe what we believe? To combat the catechism that they're getting in the world. Let's do it. Godly fathers, rise up. Don't just complain about this godless culture. Rise up and disciple godly children. But what about those, in closing, real quick, what about those of you who are abandoned by your father? What about those of us who know what it is like to have a father that really isn't there, and if he is, he's abusive? On the day of my adoption, when my grandparents adopted me and the court case happened, my biological father didn't even bother to show up. So there are many in this room that may feel the same way of... I don't have a, a father. I don't understand what we're talking about, but this is where the glorious grace of God comes in. Psalm 27:10 says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. That's what I say to all of us. Because all of our fathers and mothers will forsake us at some point. They're human, but God won't. <laughs> I, the best of fathers and mothers fail sometimes and hurt us sometimes. And yet, the, the Heavenly Father will never forsake us. John, one, uh, 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And so we are. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. Father, may we be your people who boldly stand for your word in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation that scoffs at your word. May we be faithful to train up our children and lead our families in the midst 
of a society that scoffs at that kind of leadership and scoffs at the very ideals of your word and the very truth of your commands. Father, give us grace, boldness, and love to effectively love our wives and love our children and train them up in the nurture and admonition of you. For your glory and by your grace, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.